A lot going on this morning. Uh, it's also a communion Sunday, which is why we've reversed the order of our worship this morning. We generally uh, like to focus on the table, and so that's the last thing that we do is some time around the table to worship and to thank the Lord for, for everything that He's done. <clears throat> we, just dedicated, uh, we just dedicated eight children, and that's an awesome thing. Kyle leaned over to me and said, it's the best part of the job, isn't it? And it really is. It's, it's fun. Um, gosh, expressions. I hope you could see them. I don't know if they, you could see some of the expressions on those kids. It's crazy. <clears throat> but just think now, if uh, Jill, if your husband, uh, Cor, were to say two, three, four nights after you brought him home, were to be leaning on the crib, and Drew is laying there, and he's, he's, he's just cooing asleep, you know, just babies are always beautiful when they sleep. Just are. Matter of fact, I'd want to go wake them up. Carol would say, over my dead body, you wake that child up. But they're just like, oh, that's so great. And, and so he's staring there, and, and, and Jill, just imagine this if you, this is hypothetical, of course, but just imagine if you were looking at, at Cor, and, and he was looking at Drew, and just this wonderment, this, this amazement, this disbelief, this delight, this enchantment, this skepticism. And, and you're touched by this, because, you know, we all know Cor, you know, he, he's a football guy. And so here you see this guy who's all moved by this sight, and, and, and you look at him, and you say, a penny for your thoughts. And he says, it's amazing. It's just simply Amazing. I just can't see how anybody could ever make a crib like that for $46.50. <clears throat> no way, right? No way. He's looking at something that's beautiful and wonderful. And I think sometimes in the church, we get a chance to be around the baby, and, and the analogy fits, around the baby Jesus, and we get kind of caught looking at the crib. Boy, that, that's a great church building. Or isn't that a wonderful hope bus? <laughs> yeah, whatever works. Um, or whatever. And, and we have an opportunity to, to go to the real thing. And oftentimes we get, we get caught up in kind of the package. And package is wonderful. Man, this is an awesome building. This building just screams the glory of God. And I can say it, I didn't build it. I, it just, it's an amazing building. But we have an opportunity, and even this morning, we're going to look at something that's just as amazing as that newborn baby, Drew, in your crib. We have an opportunity this morning to look at something that awesome, and we don't want to get caught up in all the other things. We're continuing on in our series called The Church on Fire. It's a, it's a study of the book of Acts. And what we're doing in this series is we're studying the the whole book of Acts over the next year or year and a half or so, and we're just asking the question, what happened and what does this mean for us? What, what does all this mean for us living in the 21st century here on the corner of 7th and 10th Avenue, downtown Minneapolis, in each of our lives? What does this mean for us? How can we live like these people did in the first century of Christianity? This message is actually the second part to a two-part message I started two weeks ago, a week before Thanksgiving. And so what I kind of need to do for a few minutes is just kind of recap you on some things. So if you have your Bible with you, if you want to look at that insert, open it up to Acts chapter 1, or you can follow along on the screen, however it is you want to do it. But Acts chapter 1, 
I'm going to give you the context. We're really just going to look at one verse this week, which is verse 8. But I'm going to take a little while to get there just so I give you a little bit of a recap. Acts chapter 1, we're starting verse 3. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men. That's the, the 12 apostles and others who were hanging out. He showed themselves to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So he's telling them something major is going to come, and, and I want you to wait here and wait for this amazing thing to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. You're going to be baptized with it. And we'll look at that, what that means in a few weeks. But, but you're going to be baptized with this Holy Spirit. It's going to be an amazing thing. Wait in Jerusalem. So the disciples were thinking, and the next time they met together in verse 6, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now last time we talked about this, two weeks ago, that was all we focused on was that one passage. What does that mean? Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And what he's asking is, if you, just, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know about the big players. You know about Abraham and how Abraham was childless and God said, I'll make you into a mighty nation. And he had just one child of the promise, Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Esau and Jacob, but only Jacob kept the line going. And so after this, after this two generations, there's hardly anything of a nation happening. Then Jacob has 12 sons. And then they're Good Hope Community Church people. They know how to be fruitful and multiply. And it just goes crazy from there. Just 12 different sons, what they call the 12 tribes of Israel. However, they fell into slavery. After they got numerous, someone in Egypt came and, and took them over. Uh, Yule Brenner. And Charlton Heston had to come and save them through Moses. Moses came, the deliverer, and he, they brought them out. After that, there was a period where they had to take over the land through the book of Joshua and Judges, and then they wanted a king over them. So first they had the king, of, king Saul, and then they had King David. And King David was someone who God promised him that I will establish your line forever. There will always be a line. Now, it didn't happen biologically. Very shortly, even, the whole nation of Israel and, and, and the, the sister nation of Judah, after they had kind of split, they fell into other people, other armies. The Assyrians and the Babylonians came and took over them 500, 700 years before Christ, respectively, before Christ was even on the scene. So politically, they didn't have their own land for 500 years for the fall of Judah and 700 years for the fall of Israel. So they don't have any political power anymore. First came in the, the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. So they don't, they don't have any political power. I've been waiting, 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 waiting. And they had promises. They had promises that that, that was going to happen. That they were going to have a son of David on the throne. And when Jesus shows up on the scene, that's a phrase that he's called quite often. The son of David. When he's called the son of David, that has linkings in their mind that, whoa, we are going to trash the Romans. This is going to be great. We are going to take over political power. 
In fact, that's probably what got Jesus killed. The crowd that, when he came into Jerusalem, they're thinking, here we are, downtown Jerusalem. It's going to come now. And the people who on the way in said, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to the Son of David, they said. They said that on Thursday. And on, they said that on Wednesday. No, I said it on Sunday. I'll get my days right. Palm Sunday. It's not Easter yet. I'm thinking Christmas here. Uh, Palm Sunday, they said that. On the next Friday, they were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Because he wasn't going to do what they had hoped for. So it wasn't out of the question for these disciples to be asking, are you now going to restore political power to us? Is it coming? And Jesus... Uh, it's an interesting answer. In, in verse 7, he says, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. So it's coming. You're going to get the political power, but it's not going to happen now. It's going to happen on a different day. You're not going to get that now. It's going to happen sometime, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you when. It's not for you to know when. It's going to happen, though. It is not for you to come. They wanted political power. They wanted power back to the people of Israel. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know when that day is going to come, but now, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He doesn't correct them for wanting power. Do you hear that? They ask for power. What does he say? I'm going to give you power. There's nothing wrong with wanting power. Power is a good thing when it's done right. When it's done wrong, whew, it's a mess. I'm reading a book right now about uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, someone here at Hope actually recommended it to me. It's called The, the uh, Roman Flames or Flamings of Rome or Fires of Rome. Or It's changing my life, you can tell. Um, <laughs> But Nero, Nero was a head case. I'd never really studied Nero before. So this is historical fiction about Nero. <whistles> bad dude, bad apple. I mean, just everything, just about everything he did. Nero was a bad emperor. Bad emperor, bad, bad, bad. And so here's power, incredible amount of power in wrong hands. And Jesus says, you know what? You're not going to get that kind of power. You're not going to get political power, but you're going to get something else. You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. It's going to be a little different than you look. That word power, i got to throw two Greek words at you this morning. I'm not usually into this, but the, the New Testament was written in uh, Greek, which sounds real highfalutin now. You hear pastors quoting the Greek, you think, whoa, aren't they cool? Actually, Greek was like the butcher's language of that day. So, you know, I should probably talk Iron Range to you here or something. So you, that's what, when somebody quotes Greek, they're not like really cool. It just, this was their common language. The word for this is dunamis. Dunamis is the root word to dynamite, where we get dynamite from. When they're talking power here, they're talking explosive power. In the book of Acts, this word is used ten times. Six of those ten times, it actually refers to the power to do miracles or signs and wonders. I mean, this is, this is power stuff. This is bigger than even just having political power. This is power. He says, you're going to receive that kind of power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, I want you to hear it like they would hear it. 
I want you to hear what, what the disciples and those around them, they were good Jews, and if they heard that phrase, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. To a good Jew, the Holy Spirit came on you if you were a king or if you were in someone of serious authority. Moses had the Spirit of God on him. He said when, when Moses was too busy and he's trying to handle all these people who are just a mess, God said, you appoint 70 elders and I'll pour that same spirit on them. So they get the spirit like that. King Saul and David, they got the spirit of power like that. When, they, when the disciples heard that phrase, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, they're thinking these kind of images. They're thinking of the book of Judges where there were a bunch of rulers. They were called judges. They were more, they're kind of like, kings, although they weren't kings, but they were, they're kind of rulers in Israel. And this phrase is all through the book of Judges. The Holy Spirit came on that judge in power. And one of them was cut by the name of Samson. And he, if you remember that the story about Samson, listen to these couple verses from Judges chapter 14. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have tore a young goat. Now, I've never seen anybody tear a young goat, but I guess Samson could do a young goat without the Spirit of the Lord, but it took the Spirit of the Lord to do a lion. But it's an image that they would make sense to them. They'd seen Samson rip apart a goat, I guess. Now he could do it to a lion. Verse 19, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, this is still Samson, in power. He went down to Eshkelon, struck down 30 of their men one guy against 30. It's like one of those Japanese movies or those Chinese movies where they all line up single file and the guy fights them. Uh, <clears throat> struck them, stripped them of their belongings. The Spirit of the Lord came on them in power. That's their image of what it means when it says, the Spirit will come on you with power. They're thinking, this is awesome. Give me a lion. <clears throat> Rip it open. Give me 30 Romans. I'll trash them. This is great. In fact, the Old Testament says that that same power that was available to the kings and the rulers was going to be spread to everybody. So the disciples are not stupid in thinking, oh, this is, this is it. In Isaiah 44, God says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament of something that's going to happen. Ezekiel, also a prophet in the Old Testament, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, de declares the sovereign Lord. And Joel says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So they were not nuts in thinking, okay, this spirit coming on with power, that is, that is really amazing. You're not nuts in thinking that. That's what the Old Testament says it is. Political power is not what Jesus was talking about, though. Power to rip lions apart was not the power he was talking about. It was a little bit different. I think the tragedy in the church, and hope also, is we don't spend enough time to, you know, licking our fingers and sticking them into the outlet of the Holy Spirit. Because there's an amazing power here. We, we, we kind of play in the playground here. We're not realizing how awesome, 
how awesome this power really is. Listen to how it's described in the New Testament for those of you who are just followers of Christ. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. This is Paul speaking. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Know what he says? He says it's not just, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's, it's a worldview. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's a neat way of life. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's a community of people. You know, it's all those things. He doesn't say it. He says this message of the gospel, it's more than just words. It's more than just becoming a Republican or becoming a Democrat. There's something about becoming a follower of Christ that the Spirit of God resides within you and encorpus through all your veins. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. Ephesians 1 says, I pray that, this is Paul speaking to the people of Ephesus, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and the third thing is his incomparably great power for us who believe. What's that power like? Well, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is coming to the disciples in a few days and is available to everybody in this room who names the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Every one of you. Me too. That same power. Paul says, why don't you skip a slide here to 2 Corinthians 12. And he says, but he said to me, this is Paul speaking, he's saying what, what Jesus said to him. He says, in the midst of your struggle, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In 2 Timothy, Paul says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. That's available. That's available. It was available to them in just a few days. We're going to study that in a few weeks here, what happened on the day of Pentecost. And it's available to us now to go through the struggle. We'll see that in just a minute, to go through the struggle. Now, I think oftentimes we are like a float that happened at the uh, Rose, Rose Bowl parade a few years back. It was a, f a float, and about a third of the way in, down, the, uh, down the Rose Parade, it ran out of gas. So it's blocking traffic. You know, I mean, one float, and the whole rest of the thing stops. So somebody, where's a gas can? Nobody can find a gas can. What's, what's going on? They finally found a gas can. They finally put more gas in the thing, and it starts to take off. You know what the float, who sponsored the float? Standard Oil Company. <laughs> I, I know. Everybody can run out of gas. You see how ironic that is? I think oftentimes we are people who just don't picture God in all of his awesomeness and the Holy Spirit from God is God Almighty residing in us and we just are content to just say, ah, victory's not possible. 20 of us men gathered um, 
in the, in the fireside room to talk about this whole area of being men of purity sexually in a world that's totally impure sexually. How do you do that? Such a great time. I'm thinking of doing it again for, for more of you. And many of you said you didn't, couldn't make it. We're, think, we're kicking around doing it again here in January. We'll kick off our four-week studies in uh, February. But as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, this is a big problem for every guy in the room. I know I've got half your attention right now, half of the people in this room. Attention, although guys only have half of attention to begin with, so maybe it's a quarter of the people in the room. <laughs> this is hard. You're going to wrestle with this till the day you die. You are. But there's victory available. There is victory available. There is power available, even in this area, to heal, to empower, to help you through it, to help you just to say no, if nothing else. Think on our own. Uh, we just tend to put God into a box and say, oh, that's nice thinking. But we don't, like I say, lick our fingers and stick it in the outlet. A.W. Tozer said, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. In my life, what I want the, this study of the book of Acts to do, and I hope it's true here for everyone, I, I want us to understand you can't control God. It's just out of control. God is just out of control in a good way. He's loving and powerful and good, but he's more than you can ever imagine. Whatever your vision of God is, whatever your picture of him is, it's too small. Okay, you're given this power, but you're not just given this power indiscriminately. There's a purpose for the power. What's the purpose? He says this, you will get power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria, in all Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The other Greek word I want to throw at you this morning is that word witness. The word witness is martus, which means in a legal sense, you are called to, to sit on the stand and to declare, you know, what happened in this case. Or even it could just be a spectator, maybe in a non-legal sense. But it has a third meaning, which you maybe got when I said the word, martis. It means that you love Christ enough. Your faith in Christ was significant enough that you would die for Christ. It's where we get the term martyr. If you're going to be a witness, the power is given for you to be a martyr for Christ. Form a line. Take a number. Who wants to join? Huh? Well... You're given this power so you can witness for Christ. He says this, this power is going to be given to you so that you can do this because there is no plan B. These are the last spoken words of Jesus. We'll see, see uh, is it next week? No, next week's Christmas. But a uh, few weeks, we'll see that Jesus is taken up right after this. Is the last words. There is no plan B. The way that he's going to reach the world is because he has stuck in you his spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, he has stuck in you his spirit. Because of that, you are different. And you go around and you have a smell to you and other people smell that and they go, you reek. How can I reek? I see people up there nodding. Is there somebody up there didn't shower? Or, uh, you reek, you reek like something, and I want to know how I can be like that too. Tell me. There is no plan B. If you look at the four other places where Jesus 
uh, gave his disciples this command that there is no plan B, he clearly states that it's, it's, it's on you guys. Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now you go and baptize, or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, I've been given authority. I'm giving it to you. You go. You go. Mark chapter 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. Luke, the end of Luke, says he told them, this is Jesus speaking, this is what is written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And in, chapter, in John, the same thing is said. He says, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. The only way that the Christianity will spread, the only way it will go to the next generation is because of the people in this room. The, this, this year, for the first time, we're, we're proposing to spend 10% of our income just on ministry outside the church. And it's a shame we have to say it. We've never done that before. We hope it's always been kind of a mission unto itself. But this year we're saying, can we do every dollar that comes in, can 10 cents on every dollar go out the doors? Can we do that? So it just spread the news to others. Roughly, people say 25% of the world's population has not heard the message of Jesus Christ in a way that they could respond. I would argue that it's way higher than that. Even though in this culture, you know, we say it's here. I grew up for 18 years, and if, if you'd asked me how to, got to, how, how to go to heaven, I'd no more know that than how to change a transmission. I have no idea, and I grew up going to church. I'd never heard the message that simply by putting your faith in Christ, Him as your sin bearer, you could know you're going to heaven when you die. I never heard that, that sentence. I would argue it's much higher than that. Let me ask you a question as we, as we close. Are you living with power and purpose? Are you, living, are you living a life where the power of the Holy Spirit is working through you? That you are spending time in the Bible, you're spending time in prayer, you're spending time in worship, you're asking God, God, pour out your power to help me with these struggles. Pour out your power to help me in my relationships. Pour out your power in me to point my neighbors and my friends and my, my roommate and my neighbors or whoever else is around me. Help me to point them to Christ. Are, are, are you living in that kind of power and are you living for a purpose? If you're here this morning and, and you are, are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and you always thought, I mean, that Christianity was just kind of a, a set of beliefs that you signed off on. I'm telling you there this morning, it's way more than that. Jesus Christ will change your life. He will change your life. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I think it's harder. But he will change your life. It's way more than a, a system of just beliefs to follow. If you are a follower of Christ this morning. Don't just waddle around in this amazing power 
and, and worship the crib when the baby's sitting there. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Weight of Glory, says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and, ambish, and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Hope Community Church, don't be too easily pleased. Don't be too easily pleased. We're going to have communion in just a minute. And, and if it's your desire, we'd love to just pray that God's power would just go through you. There's about 15 different people that are going to be praying for us. Well, if some over here, here, in the back there, we have one or two tables upstairs, see up. Two tables upstairs, are they over kind of where I'm pointing? Over in those areas. And you can just go to a table and, and uh, rip off a piece of bread, take a cup, you can enjoy it where, where you're standing or you can take it back to your seat. As you come through, and these tables will move here in just a moment over here, as you come through, there'll be people over here who during worship would love to pray for you. We'd like to pray for every single person here. I think we have enough prayers this morning to pray for every single person here. To pray that you'd be a person that would live with power or purpose. Maybe there's something specifically that you have on your heart that you would like to be prayed for. Just, just kind of whisper it in the person's ear and say, I'd like you to pray for healing in this area of my life. Or maybe I'd like to today for the first time dedicate my life to Jesus Christ. Or whatever. You could just whisper in that person's ear as you take communion. I'm going to pray and thank the Lord for this meal and this worship and the opportunity we have to just live and be in His Spirit. Let's pray together. Jesus, I want to praise You that uh, You have given us Your Holy Spirit. And even as I was preparing this message, I was reminded, I think, so often how I take that for granted, now having been a follower of you for, for 20 years, and uh, I think I take that power that's available to me and to us sometimes for granted. And Lord, I just think back to the days when um, I wasn't a follower of you and what my life was like. And I'm reminded of, God, how, how powerful you are in my life. So God, I know in this room right now, as many as there are people, there are probably two, three, four times that many serious issues that people are dealing with. Would you, by your spirit that words can't, can't minister to and music can't and can, all these different things we're going to partake in this morning can't, but by your spirit you can touch and heal and reconcile and do all kinds of things. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd fill this room, that you'd fill our hearts. We pray, Lord God, if there's decisions we need to make, God, we wouldn't leave this building until we make them. Lord, if we need to get right with you, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time, that we wouldn't leave here before that happens. Jesus, I want to thank you for this meal we're about to partake of. We don't take it lightly. The bread represents your body that was, was broken for us. The cup represents your blood that was shed for us. And God, I, Jesus, I don't think I'll ever really understand why you die for Steve or why you die for anyone else here. But you did. So we want to take this meal with, with somberness and with joy at the same time 
not taking it lightly, but taking it with, with joy, knowing that we need it. Come, Jesus, minister to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.